All right, good morning. Welcome back to Christian Doctrine. Has it been a month almost since we've met with Thanksgiving in the middle and um, then we had snow last week and so it's good to be back and doing this. A month ago then when we were meeting, we were reading through the account of the fall into sin and we looked kind of at that and what it meant for us and how it took place and uh, uh, we talked about how uh, the, the important things are that Satan, the way he always works, even today for us now, is that he attacks and changes God's word. Uh, he's not that smart to come up with new ways to attack us. And maybe he doesn't need to because what he does works so well. But that's what he does. He attacks God's word. He seeks to change God's word, uh, to put doubt in our hearts about God's word. That's the way that God works, or God works, that Satan works. Um, we also then saw Adam and Eve listen to a different word than God, and that was sin, uh, eating the fruit as a result of that disbelief in God's word. Um, that took place, and then uh, I think we did maybe just read it real quick. This is important. Um, when they fall into sin, God gives them a word uh, at that time too, a word that is a word of promise and that's in uh, Genesis 3:15 God says to Eve I will put enmity between you or sorry God says to Satan I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel in other words God tells Satan I'm going to win someday through the person and work of Jesus is how we would understand that. That Satan pierces Jesus' heel and hands while Jesus crushes his head uh, on the cross, destroying sin, death uh, uh, forever. There, how many people have seen the Passion of the Christ movie? When Jesus is praying at the beginning of that movie in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Satan shows up and the snake comes down Satan's leg and slithers over to Jesus. What's he do to it? He steps on its head, right? That's alluding back to this verse where God promises Satan that Satan's going to be the loser uh, because of Jesus. So we have sin. We have a word from God that there is um, a Savior coming and... Uh, that's kind of where this particular text ends. Now, we were in a hurry to get through this last time. Are there any questions about it or things we should talk a little bit more about with that? No? All right. Well, uh, then we're going to start that on page 10. It says at the bottom there, uh, and that's where we'll kind of pick up. And this is discussing what the consequence is for sin uh, and what the natural condition is of all people since that time. Uh, Genesis 5, verse 3, what's that one say? When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own likeness, after his image, and named himself. All right. Now, in the creation... God made man in God's image, uh, holy, upright, just, uh, good. 
Now, because of sin, when Adam has a son, whose image is that son in? Adam's image, which is now what because of sin? Yeah, imperfect, corrupted, uh, dying, uh, all that stuff. That sin gets passed down generation after generation after generation. We even say it in the baptismal rite when we're about to baptize a baby. We say, all sin in that baby which they have inherited from Adam is going to be drowned and die in the waters of holy baptism. When your name is Adam and you're baptizing your own baby, when you say that, your wife looks at you like, way to go. <laughs> um, as if... This Adam was the one that created sin. No, it was the first Adam. We all have inherited it uh, through our parents, who inherited it from their parents all the way back. Psalm 51 teaches the same thing. Would somebody read that? Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. All right. When does a person start to be sinful even before that right what's what Psalm 51 say conception in sin I was conceived at that moment I became a living being I had sin okay uh, that's important. That separates us from some of the, uh, the group of Christians that are in the Baptist faith. Uh, I grew up in a church like this where they, they taught that you weren't sinful until you could understand what sin was, usually about when you were 12. And once you could understand what sin was at the age of 12, then you're responsible for sin. But before that time, you were not guilty, right? <laughs> It begs the question then, why don't we just kill them all when they're eight then, before they know what sin is, and then heaven will be full, right? Um, don't do that. That's not real. We're sinful from conception. All right. Genesis 8. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, this is after the flood, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. The important part for this part is the intention of man's heart is evil all the way from their youth, from their youngness, their childhood. Their hearts are evil. And we even see this with babies, right? Uh, they are cute. They are fun to hold and look at, but a baby, what's the baby's main concern? Self. Self, right? We say that sin is curved inward upon oneself, that we listen to our own word. We want what's best for us first. We don't love our neighbor. We don't love God. That's sin, and babies have that as well. Ephesians 2 Somebody want to read that one? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All right. When you are in sin, what are you? Dead. Dead. Right? Sin brings death. Yes, it brings the death at the end of our life here, but we're also spiritually dead from the moment we became alive. Now, how do I say this the right way? Do dead people get up and decide not to be dead anymore? No. No. Uh, when you shoot your deer and it's dead, can it run away from you? No. Not if it's actually dead. All the way dead, right? Um, that's the way we are spiritually. On our own, we can't decide to be alive. We can't decide to have faith. Something else has to come and make us alive. And that something is God. And I think uh, the most important ones, we're going to skip Romans 8 here, and just so we can try and finish this lesson today. Uh, Romans 3 and Romans 6. Can somebody read those two maybe? They're both pretty short. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. For most have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For some have sinned and some have not. No, the word there is all. All of us are sinful and have fallen short of the glory of God. And that's truth number one that we need to know about who we are uh, so that we can also then be ready to hear about how God takes away that sin. If we're not sinners, then there's really no need for Jesus. Um, but because we are sinners, we need Christ, we need his death, we need the forgiveness of sins that comes from him. And then we have Romans 6.23, uh, because we're sinners, what do we get? What's our reward? Eternal life. Because we're sinners, though, our reward is? Okay. Death. death, right? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What... What's a, a wage? Payment for services rendered. Right. Payment for services rendered, something earned. You go to your job, you do your job, and in return for what you do, your boss pays you a wage. If you don't do your job, then you don't get your wage. Right? Uh, that's a wage. We sin... That's the work we do, and in return for our sin, we receive death. The other side of it is the good news. Contrasting from the word wage, God gives a free gift. What do you have to do to get a free gift? Nothing. Nothing. It's a free gift. It's grace. It's mercy. God gives eternal life in, through Christ Jesus our Lord to us. We deserve death. That's what we've earned. But instead, we're given eternal life in Jesus.
Make sense? You know it doesn't make sense, right? Why would he do that? <laughs> but he does. Because he loves us. Um, because of his grace and mercy. Because um, he doesn't want us to go to hell. All right. Um, let's keep on moving on here. What is the effect of this original sin, also called inherited sin, or we like to call it to the old Adam, on our lives? Matthew 7. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. We're sinful, so what kind of a tree are we? We're one that bears bad fruit. <laughs> one that bears bad fruit. Um, that means because of our sin, we, uh, let me use the word naturally here, we naturally do wicked, evil things. It just happens, right? Um, I see this with my, right now, I see it most with my son, right? I have four kids. They're all equally sinful. But um, my son will play with my youngest daughter, and he'll want whatever toy she has in her hands. And so what does he do? Takes it. Well, yeah, I wish they just took it. <laughs> what does he do? He goes up to her, and he punches her, or he grabs her hair and shakes her, or things like that, to get the toy that he wants. Now... Did his mom and I teach him that? No. Right? If, if my wife has something that I want, do I just go up and grab her hair and take it? No. No. <laughs> right? My wife will verify that. You can check. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not something that's a taught or learned behavior. It's something that just happens because he is sinful. And... All of us have the same thing, right? When, when it's time to fill out your taxes and you have received, you know, some cash from a side job, what thought goes through your mind, whether you follow through on it or not? Whether or not to claim it. Yeah, I won't report that. Mm. <laughs> it's just cash. They won't find out. We have that thought. Or... Um, well, there's all sorts of examples, right? That we could see the sin. Because we're sinful people, we do sinful things. Okay? Matthew says the same thing. Out of our hearts, which are sinful and evil, come all sorts of terrible things. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. That's what comes out of us because of our sinful nature. Um... James, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Do we oftentimes know what's right? What do we still do? Do we? So, if something bad happened to your neighbor and you know about it, do you know that it's the right thing not to tell people about it? But what do you still do, like at the Thanksgiving table? Right? What do you talk about with your family? <laughs> did you hear about Uncle Bill? Yeah. Can you believe that he did X, Y, and Z? Can you believe that he's getting a divorce? 
We like to gossip. We like to do all these evil things because in our hearts there is sin. What's the wages of sin? Death. That brings us to this last question here uh, at the bottom of the page. Is there hope? You're sin, sinful person. You deserve to die. Not just death at the end of this life, but to be dead forever. Which is what we, with the definition of hell, is being dead forever. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. That's what every person in this church, in this city, in this state deserves, is death for sin. What hope then do we have? And this is going back then to Genesis 3, 14 and 15. What has God promised Satan? I will put enmity between you and the woman, woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. This is teaching us about Jesus who's going to come to forgive sin, who's going to die the death that you earned. He's going to take your wages, if you will, and in replace of what you've earned, he's going to freely give you eternal life. Um, Romans 7, on the, the next page there, we've got that there also. <coughs> Paul writes... Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. What is the thing delivering him from the body of death? Christ. Jesus Christ. That's our only hope. That's the only thing that can counteract sin, that can destroy sin. Uh, we teach this in our small catechism, um, that Jesus Christ, who's true God, uh, begotten of the Father and true man, uh, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, who has purchased and won me from sin, death, and the power of the devil, not with gold, not with silver, but with his holy, precious blood, innocent suffering and death. The answer to sin is Jesus and Jesus alone. You can't add to that. You can't subtract from that. You can't find yourself in your salvation at all because you're dead in sin. Your only hope is Jesus who conquers death and then he comes up to you and makes you alive in the waters of holy baptism. He makes you alive by giving you his word, uh, reflecting uh, in the beginning when God made Adam. He formed him out of the dust of the earth and he had this dead body in front of him. What's God do to make it alive? He breathes the breath of life into him. Um, when you speak a word, you also have to do what? I can't just speak a word without something coming out of my mouth. Without breathing, you can't speak. Without breathing, you can't speak, right? God breathes life 
by his word into you when he says, your sins are forgiven by Christ. You have eternal life in Christ. Um, the word in the waters, baptism, the word in the bread and in the wine, make Christ's body and blood present there to give you forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. Jesus is the thing that makes us alive. Jesus is the only hope that we have. And Jesus loves us enough to rescue us from sin, death, and the devil. That right there is the central thing uh, in the Lutheran faith, and I'd say in the Christian faith, Jesus. And all the rest of our theology is from Scripture, us keeping Jesus as the most important thing. Okay? Um, everything we do supports the message that Christ died for our sins and grants us eternal life. And anything that would subtract or take away from that, we don't believe is true. So we talked earlier about um, the Baptists with their understanding that you have to decide that Jesus is your Lord. Uh, and that you're not sinful until you turn a certain age of understanding. We disagree with that because it takes away from Jesus. Because then if that eight-year-old dies, why are they in heaven? Is it because of Jesus? No, it would be because they hadn't sinned yet. And even a, a 30 almost 35-year-old like me, when I die, what's the reason that I'll be in heaven? Because I'm such a nice guy? Nobody said I'm a nice guy. <laughs> because I'm so good-looking? Because I uh, preach such wonderful sermons? Because I sing the hymns louder than anybody else except for Pastor Poppy? <laughs> Because my office isn't as messy as Pastor Poppy's office? No. What's the only reason I'm going to be saved? Christ. Jesus. Um, well, if that eight-year-old isn't sinful, then why would they die in the first place? <laughs> well, that's exactly the right thing. Right, so like, why do babies die if they're not sinful? Like, like why do kids get sick? If they're not sinful, they would be perfection. I, you're exactly right. And that's, I mean, they, they would come up with an answer to kind of explain it away. But if the wages of sin is death, those who are dying must have sin. Um, everything we want to do in our church service is to hold up Christ, to give Christ, to proclaim Christ, because that's our only hope uh, in this sinful world. So we're going to call sin, sin. And, and maybe sometimes we feel uncomfortable when we're talking about the Ten Commandments or sin or sinners, right? Um, but we're going to talk about it because it's important for us to know where we are, to kill that old sinful nature so that we understand how important Jesus is. 
Um, we'll talk about sin that's really ours, but we'll also talk about Christ, who's the Savior for that sin, who destroys it, who dies for it, and grants us eternal life uh, by the shedding of his blood and by his rising again. And, and next week, uh, we'll go through the Ten Commandments just a little bit more detail and talk about each one of them and what they mean and how that shows that we are sinful people. But then we'll also talk about how Christ answers that sin um, and then sets us free to... Uh, keep that law as best as humanly possible in this world. Um, and when we still fail, because we will, right? Um, when we still fail and fall short, we're driven back to Jesus and the forgiveness that he gives. Whenever we're talking about salvation, we're talking about Jesus. Whenever we're talking about ourselves and what we do, we're talking about sin. And those distinctions have to be made. So, questions or thoughts about that real quick? Maybe back to Genesis 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Yeah. Those phrases, what all theological significance is there? Can you go over that again? Yeah. Um, after Adam and Eve disobey God's word and listen to Satan's word instead, they eat the fruit, which is contrary to what God said. He said, you may eat of any tree... Uh, but not this one. And they had one law, and they broke it because they listened to Satan's words. So God says to Satan, uh, because, you, because you led Adam and Eve astray with a false word, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Dust, reminding us at this point too, who is Adam? He's the man who is made out of dust, dust right? In fact, the name Adam means dirt. Adama is earth. Adam is Adam, the man made from dirt. What is Satan going to eat all the days of his life? He's going to consume people with sin and lead them to death. But God will put enmity or conflict between the woman and her offspring, and Satan, and his offspring. There's going to be war between um, the people born of Eve and the people born of sin. And offspring here means one offspring in particular. And that one offspring is who? Jesus, on the one hand. Jesus is going to be the one... Uh, at conflict with sin, at conflict with all of those who are descended from sin, all of those who do evil, Jesus is at conflict with them. And we see that in the life of Jesus. So he goes around preaching. What's the response he gets from most people? Rocks. Yeah. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Uh, they try to take him out and stone him. At his hometown in Nazareth, they take him up to the top of this big hill outside of town to throw him off, right? Um, you go visit the spot. It's, it's a long ways down. <laughs> they take him the, um, 
They try to arrest him, but they're afraid to do it during the day, so they come and arrest him at night, and they, they crucify and kill him because there's conflict between sin and Jesus. And at the end, then, what's Jesus do? He bruises or crushes Satan's head by dying on the cross. While it looks like Satan's going to win. Satan's got him pinned up there. Satan's killed God. And yet Jesus still comes out victorious. Now, there's more to it also, because we have in verse 16, if you turn back to the front, God also speaks to the woman. He says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Why? Where's the Savior going to come? From Eve's offspring. Right? Why, why is God cursed childbearing? Is it just, right? How many people have been with a, a lady when they're giving birth? Right? <laughs> Is it painful? Yeah, you didn't feel a thing. <laughs> yeah, you'll be sleeping on the couch. <laughs> yeah, um, it's painful, right? Um, our our fourth child. We were in the uh, all the rooms were full, and we were in this little closet waiting for a room to be open. While my wife's in pain with childbirth. But you could hear this lady who was actually two rooms down and she was screaming so loud it was going through two walls to get to where we are. And it was blood curdling in just the way that it sounded. And um, it's painful. But that's the way offspring come about. And it doesn't mean just the pain in childbirth, but all the things that we do in this world, we face pain and suffering and struggle as we wait for the one offspring who will conquer sin, death, and the grave, who is Jesus. Um, the same thing then with Adam. Because you listened to a voice that wasn't God's and you ate of the tree which I told you not to, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Um, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. You're going back to be dust, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Satan's going to eat dust all the days of his life until the offspring comes, who is Jesus, that will crush Satan and destroy his power. So um, later on in the book of Genesis, that promise is passed on uh, through Noah, through Shem, through Arphaxad, uh, through Terah to Abraham. And God says to Abraham, um, through your offspring, all the people of the world shall be blessed. Uh, Paul makes note of this, that that word offspring in the Hebrew is actually not singular or not plural, but Singular, right? Meaning through one of your offspring, Abraham, all the world shall be blessed. Who is that offspring? Jesus. And we have in the beginning of the gospel lessons the genealogy of Jesus, that Jesus is born of Joseph, uh, of Jesse, of David, uh, through all the way back to Abraham when that promise was given. And in Luke's gospel, it goes all the way back to Adam where that promise was given. That promise of the offspring being the Savior is, is a huge, huge thing. Um, 
It's called the Proto-Evangelion, the first promise of good news to sinful people. And it happens right after sin entered the world. So I don't know, is that? Well, what, what I had not picked up on before and I should have is there's her offspring and your offspring. So her offspring being Jesus yeah. and your offspring being other other people that are sinful. Yeah. And in the book of Genesis 2, right after that, there is kind of a distinction that's made right away. Um, because Eve's first offspring, who is that? You may remember? Cain. Cain. And Cain does what? Kills. Kills his brother Abel. And there's some uh, discussion about whether Cain already thought he was that offspring, that he was something special, and therefore he's already looking at himself as important instead of trusting in God and his word. And as a result, he has no faith, his sacrifice isn't accepted, and in jealousy then he kills his brother Abel. That leaves Cain and the next boy, which is Seth. And there's two lines that are traced for us, Cain's family and Seth's family. And Cain's family uh, is, um, is called the, um, the sons of men. And uh, Seth's family, who keeps the promise, believes the promise, is the way I should say it, they're called the sons of God. Uh, until finally, um, there's tradition that one of Cain's descendants marries Noah, and they go into the ark. Um, the rest of the world being destroyed in the flood. And then what's God do when they get out of the ark? He renews the promise to Noah and his family. So, yeah, that's probably way more, and maybe it's too fast flying through it, but that promise is the key part Jesus teaches in the New Testament. He says, you search the scriptures thinking that by them you'll have eternal life, but these are they that testify about me, Jesus says. We have to find that promise of Christ everywhere in every page of the scriptures because that's what Jesus teaches us to do. There you go. <laughs> that's, you get a pastor going, right? He has all these things in his head. Maybe they don't all make sense, but uh, they are important. Okay. Um, how do we define sin? Any transgression against God's law, I'd even say against God's word, disbelief of God's word. If God says one thing and we believe something different or do something different, that is sin. And our first week we talked about how we have that law written on our heart. Um, how do I say this? When my son hits his sister and we come and we stand up there, before we've even talked to him about it, what's he do? What's that? Professes his innocence. Right. Well, he says something that says, I'm innocent. But when you walk in the room after he's hit his sister, what's he doing? As soon as he sees you, he looks down and he looks and feels guilty. Why? Because he's caught. Yeah, he's caught. And in his heart, he knows that what he's done is sinful. 
Also then, because uh, over time our conscience that tells us something is wrong gets worn down, we also have God's word that writes out for us what the law is in the Ten Commandments, which we'll look at next time. So the first time you hit your sister and mom and dad walk in, you feel guilty. The second time, that guilt is a little bit less. And now he's, he's four. By the hundredth time he's hit his sister, it doesn't, it's not as big a deal, right? The first time you drove a car and you sped, you were really watching for the cops, right? But now that you've been driving for a long time, what do you do? You just floor it, right? I almost got hit pulling out of church the other day because I looked both ways and there was a car all the way down by the railroad tracks. I thought, oh, I can pull out. No, they were driving 120 miles an hour and they were up there in no time at all because after a while we just get used to breaking the law and to sinning and we do it without even worrying or thinking about it, right? The first time you break curfew, you feel a little guilty. The second time, yeah, who cares, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's the case or not, right? At least that was the way it was for me. That's why we have to also have the Word of God writing down the law for us to continue to remind us of what the Word says so that that conscience can be repaired and fixed and have external evidence that the things we do are wrong are really wrong. All right. Questions? Next week, we're going to get into the Ten Commandments uh, and look at them one by one. It'll probably take a couple weeks to do that. But it's important for us to do, and maybe if you have a catechism at home, or if you don't, you can order one. Um, in the catechism, look at... Uh, the Ten Commandments section, uh, what we should do, what we should not do as it lays it out for us, and that's kind of what our goal will be the next couple weeks to look through that. Uh, so that's our plan uh, going forward. Um, why don't we close today with the Lord's Prayer, and then uh, uh, we'll head off to church here uh, or home if you've already been to church. Drive safely. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.